1: That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is Carpe Consensus. Join hosts. Ben Schiller, and Danny Nelson as they seize the world of crypto. Hello and welcome to Cafe Consensus. This is a podcast from the Coindesk Podcast Network and I am Benjamin Schiller, uh, Features Editor here at Coindesk. And Danny Nelson is joining me today. Uh, Danny, how are you? I am well, a little bit sick, but who isn't these days, especially when you're Danny Nelson? That's, that's a common occurrence with you, I think, with this gravelly, nice voice you have. Absolutely. So Danny, you've been in the scoop mines uh, recently, and we're going to get into that in a minute. So just to preview the show a little bit, uh, we're going to talk about Danny's scoop, which is related to the juggernaut that is Polygon. And then we're also going to preview Most Influential, which is our big annual uh, end-of-year list, which is coming out next week. So uh, let's get to it. So Danny, you've been working on an important news story that we published today on Coindesk.com and it relates to Polygon, which is a Layer 2 protocol, a very important entity. Just talk about that scoop and uh, how you came about it.
0: Yes, so the, the big idea is Polygon was paying DraftKings millions of dollars worth of crypto to be a part of its network. Wow. So this relates to Polygon's infrastructure, the validators that actually operate the network. They keep everything moving that maintain this database or this decentralized database that keep transactions moving. Now, there are 100 different entities that operate these validators. And for a long time, one of them was DraftKings, the publicly traded sports gambling company. And it wasn't talking about this. It wasn't disclosing this. It was public knowledge in that it was on the blockchain. But you know, just because something's there for people to see doesn't mean they're going to see it or understand it. so using a whole lot of blockchain data, I found that this validator run by Draftkings was taking a hundred percent of the value generated by its validator, which is a little strange because it means it it kind of goes against what people assume to be the normal case in a delegated proof of stake network uh, and moreover, All of its delegated tokens came from Polygon itself. Now, what I've just described to you is a very complicated way of saying that Polygon was giving DraftKings the ability to make millions of dollars in staking revenue for the purposes of running a validator on its network.
1: So the inference here is that Polygon was making these partnerships with companies or entities that wanted to be part of this validator network, but there was actually some other incentive
0: for them to be playing ball with this arrangement that was undersized. Yeah, and part of my research for this story, I looked at all of Polygon's validators, all 100, 105 of them, to kind of understand if there were any parallels. How common is it for one, a big well-known company to be part of the validator network? And two, how common is it for Polygon to be offering incentives in the, in the form of delegated tokens to stakers? And then a third, how, how many of those validator runners are taking 100% of the revenue. And what I found was that there aren't really many big companies that validate, and there are very, very few that take validators that take 100% of the profits. But it's more common for Polygon to be doling out stakes here and there. And I talked to some validators, and they said basically, well, this is a rather common way that Polygon and really many delegated proof-of-stake networks foundations manage their validators. They say, look, we have millions, sometimes billions of our own tokens that are sitting here. We'll give some of those to you, or you, or your you, or all of you, as a reward, and then we can take it back at any time, but you can benefit from the reward. What was different about DraftKings is that almost all of the tokens that it was delegated came from Polygon directly, and then the couple million, I think it was two to five million Tokens that it staked itself also came from Polygon. So the entire validator's tokens share came from the Polygon Foundation, and th- that was something that I didn't find on any other validator. So there seems to be two issues here, Danny. I mean, one is that we think this
1: network is fully decentralized when it's actually partly based upon a paid arrangement between these two entities. And secondly, that there's no disclosure of this arrangement in any kind of public release that either of the two entities is making to a media entity like Coindesk. Why do you think they would not disclose something like that? I mean, surely DraftKings, you know, it's a pretty big brand out there. It's helpful to Polygon. It's not unreasonable that they would be paid for participating in, in some kind of arrangement. So why not disclose that? No, it's
0: it's not unreasonable for these types of relationships to happen. There's always been talks about how different business development teams, Polygon included, other networks too, uh, use their tokens to woo different big name companies to play ball with them. What stands out to me here is, like you said, the fact that this wasn't disclosed. Like when Polygon and DraftKings announced that DraftKings would run a validator, nobody said, oh, by the way, we're going to give them millions of tokens in two different ways for them to make money. And I think the reason is because it doesn't sound so good to say this entity is joining our network that we call decentralized and we're paying them to do it. Because that those two things don't work. You you can't really say that something is decentralized if you're also paying the different actors that are managing it. Right. At least that's my view, and I do think that that view is a rather Uh, I have a lot of uh, very opinionated views on this show, and I think that that is a less opinionated one than most of mine. I mean, I can see why
1: Polygon might want to not disclose this, but what's the incentive for DraftKings? I mean, it's gaining in revenue from this arrangement, uh, apart from the glossy publicity. Why would it not
0: also want to say, well, we're getting money out of this? Well, it didn't really, here's what it said. The Polygon case is a little clearer. The DraftKings is a little more wishy-washy because what DraftKings said when this launched is that one aspect of this arrangement for it to run a validator would be that DraftKings would be able to earn yield, which is staking revenue, on tokens in its treasury. Now I looked and I, I figured out what I believe to be its wallets and DraftKings did in fact stake its own tokens. But if you go back in the history of those tokens, It's only a few hops away from Polygon Foundation itself. So DraftKings was saying that it was generating revenue from the tokens that it was staking. It didn't get into the delegated aspect because that's a little complicated. And what it didn't say is that we got the tokens from Polygon. Now, the question that I have that I can't answer at this time is well, did DraftKings pay Polygon for its Matic tokens or did Polygon just give those tokens to DraftKings? Now, neither of those are nefarious and just buying them certainly wouldn't be. But that's all important context, right? Because if you're Polygon and you're giving millions of dollars of tokens to a company directly to then put into its validator that you will then delegate to in order for it to generate all this revenue for itself, well, at least in my opinion, that's something that needs to be disclosed so that people, just normal users of the network, can make a good judgment on how. To read this, like in March 2022, when this was announced, Sandeep, from the co-founder of Polygon, also the, sort of the face of the network, he said in a press release, DraftKings will take its place among existing validators as an equal community member, solidifying our desire to achieve a decentralized, community-run consensus network. Now, hmm. you, if you take that statement, you can't also say, but we're going to pay them millions of dollars. And not we're not going to pay anyone else millions of dollars because that is not an equal community member. That is a valued brand partner. That's a non-equal uh, community member. Something like that, yeah. Okay, you said at the
1: beginning of this that uh, you'd looked at other relationships on the blockchain, represented on the blockchain, and you think this is a unique arrangement to DraftKings? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't exist in the other relationships that Polygon has?
0: Yes, Ben, and in fact, I made it. Sorry, that sounded a little condescending. I don't want... It's okay. Just condescend me all you like, Tony. No, 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 no. Uh, Yes, I did make a spreadsheet that you can find in my article that documents all the different validators as they stood on 11.14, which is after the DraftKings validator went offline, but it's still useful just to understand how the Polygon validator network looked at a moment in time. And at that moment in time, there was no other validator that had the, the size or the heft or anything, the importance of DraftKings. There's one validator that seems to be closely tied to the Polygon team that does take 100% staking commission. And it also has a large stake share from Polygon itself, but it's not some corporate partner that Polygon declared to the world, look how cool it is that they're joining our network. It's just, it's like a VC. It's not some big thing. So all of these are worth looking into, but none of them had the fanfare and the bravado that DraftKings received, and none of them also are benefiting from millions of tokens that others aren't.
1: Well, this is incredible investigative work, uh, Danny. Congratulations. Backing up here a little bit, uh, I mean, DraftKings, that's a gaming company. That's uh, normally what people play when they're watching uh, you know, Super Bowl and, and NFL on Sunday, What was the basis of this arrangement initially? Uh, DraftKings was pushing
0: some kind of trading card um, product that it had? Yes. So starting in October 2021, and even earlier with other Polygon-related projects, DraftKings was operating an NFT platform that its users could basically purchase NFTs without taking custody of them and trade them and yada, yada, yada. This was at the height of the NFT boom. And all this was happening on the polygon network, right so that is worth saying that that relationship, which is well known, is continues to this day. There's still a Draftkings NFT marketplace that they maintain and they release new drops on, and it still runs on polygon and by all accounts, that relationship is sterling. What's odd to me and what we haven't yet touched on in this show is that what what was the outcome of this financial relationship right so polygon paid DraftKings millions of tokens so that it could say to the world, look, DraftKings is running a validator. And also so that DraftKings could run a validator, which it did. But if you fast forward to October, 2023, well, that validator was the DraftKings validator was kicked off of the Polygon network for failing to meet like minimum requirements. So this validator literally failed to do its job. Now this happens from time to time to different validators. But all the other validators that have been kicked weren't being paid by Polygon to do it. So you have to ask, what's the return on investment here? Because Polygon put all this money aside into a DraftKings validator, and DraftKings was running the validator, but the DraftKings validator failed to do its job. So all that money was lost by Polygon on what looks to be a not-so-great BD decision. Wow.
1: So not only were they not operating a fully decentralized network like they were saying, and they were paying this company in this arrangement, you know, millions of dollars to be a validator, but the network wasn't being validated by that validator.
0: Effectively, yeah, there were issues with how DraftKings was doing it, and those issues were bad enough that it was kicked off of the validator network and replaced by a different validator. Right. Right.
1: So just uh, spinning this out a little bit uh, wider here, Danny, I mean, we've both been in crypto a long time, and we've seen a lot of uh, uh, mistruths and misinformation and outright lies from companies, you know, as we've covered this space. Uh, where do you place this type of uh, misspeaking on that continuum? Uh, I mean, do you think that they were deliberately leaving something out that they didn't want known? Do you think, uh, as many companies do, they left it out because it was too complicated. It was hard to explain. Do you have any sense of the kind of motivation here? And do you think this kind of misspeaking is endemic in this industry?
0: Well, I certainly think that it's always best to disclose one's financial relationships, especially when those financial relationships might present a different, or I would say, more clear picture of what's really going on than the public statements that you do make. Like with, if Sandeep is saying, these guys are now part of our equal community-run network. Well, that is objectively false. Very few others were getting the kind of treatment here that DraftKings was getting. And I would say more broadly that this kind of issue is endemic to parts of the crypto industry, right? There's a disincentive to share the types of things that go against the narrative that one spins for oneself. And I would say that Polygon wanted a narrative here that DraftKings was by its own by its own volition joining the network, and maybe DraftKings was the initiator here. But no one was saying publicly, "We're paying them to do it." Absolutely. I mean, there was a case recently we worked on. Uh,
1: Dan Kuhn and I. He was had a story about a partnership between Dapper Labs, which is the creator of CryptoKitties and other successful NFT projects, um, where they said that they had a partnership, quote unquote with Disney. And we put that out as, a, you know, Disney as a partnership with Dapper. And that turned out not to be true, at least from the perspective of Disney, (laughs) because they said, uh, you know, Dapper had simply licensed the content from Disney uh, for obvious reasons, uh, but it wasn't a partnership, which which would imply some kind of equal standing or some kind of uh, joint venture in this arrangement. But it was simply actually that they'd bought this right to use this content, and uh, it wasn't really a partnership. So we had to you know, correct the story that was misspoken about when they, when they released it to us. So um, I think that's another example of kind of, you know, you could either put that down to marketing exaggeration or, you know, deliberate obfuscation of something that wasn't true. So it's kind of murky waters here.
0: Exactly. Because like, it's all about adoption here, mass adoption. How do we get people that aren't already in? Because Ben, you and I, we're already in, right? We're already involved <laughs> in crypto. We? I don't. Unfortunately, I think so. Maybe we're not trading. At least I hope we're not. Um, but we're certainly involved in the crypto space. There are plenty of people. I would say most people that aren't. And how do you get them in? Well, one good way to open that door is by partnering with the brands that those people already know, with DraftKings, with Disney, with others, and by the words that that projects choose to use. Whether it's partnership or, or disclosing this, not disclosing that, it's an attempt to showcase how the well-known mainstream of finance of just culture is coming on board well if you have to pay them to do it that's something that i think the world should also know
1: right i mean it's not unlike uh, ftx putting its logo on a on a baseball stadium right it's, it's just paying to play in a more mainstream cultural
0: environment exactly but at least at least in that situation everybody understood that that was a licensing deal. No one thought that MLB was just happy to put FTX on the Empire logo. FTX was right. definitely paying. Of course, it was also with everybody else's money, which uh, is its own issue. So, Danny, this is an incredible story. Uh, it's great work. Is there more to come here? You know, I think that business development practices are fertile ground in crypto, and I'm eager to keep looking into it just to really understand how these companies, how these foundations are bringing in partnerships from the mainstream world. You mean fertile ground for journalists, you mean? Oh yes, fertile ground for journalists. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good.
1: Thank you, Danny. Uh, we're gonna move on now. It's a great story and you should definitely check it out on coindesk.com. On December the 4th, we are dropping an important list and this is a, a calendar event uh, here at CoinDesk, something we've been doing now for
0: 10 years and that is the most influential list so Ben, what's the criteria here? How do, do people find themselves on the most influential list? Right, so uh, it,
1: it comes about through a series of meetings that we hold internally here with uh, all reporters and editors. And we basically sit around either virtually or physically and we hash out the main themes of the year and then we think about who fits within those themes. So for instance, you know, regulation is a big theme this year. There was a big crackdown. So we looked around for people who we think exemplify or embody that theme of uh, regulations. That might be uh, Gary Gensler, for instance. I'm not saying he's on the list, but he might be. And, and people that were involved with the FTX trial, which was obviously a headline event that you covered, Danny. So we kind of go on like that. And then other themes might be uh, staking, which had a big year. And we go on like that until we have a list of uh, 50 people that we think embody and define the year in crypto. Mostly we're looking for builders and doers and people who progress the industry but there were some undeniably influential people who had a more negative spin on, on that. So next Monday, December 4th, we're going to be uh, releasing the list with the 50 names that we think define the year in crypto. And along with that list, uh, we are publishing 10 original NFTs that we've commissioned from uh, NFT artists, which will be sold separately. So uh, 10 of the names on the list have uh, artwork that will be available for sale and that you can uh, buy, dear listener. And the money from those sales will go to charity, um, which we will also
0: reveal next week. A little bit of a coinless trivia. The very first time that I learned about NFTs was actually through the most influential package. And I think it must have been 2020 uh, because there was a Michael Saylor NFT artwork that we commissioned that went along with my profile of the Bitcoin king himself. So that was the first time we learned about NFTs. And. It's alpha like that that you can find by reading Coindesk's Most Influential Package. And if you, dear listener, have any idea or any guesses as to who the most influential would be for this year gone by, head over to Spotify Q&A and say what you want to say. We'll give it a read. Always eager to hear your feedback and your guesses as well. And that will do it for this episode of Carpe Consensus. It's been me, Danny Nelson, and Ben Schiller. As always, please, if you like the show, uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform and leave us a review. Looking forward to next week's show as well.
1: Carpe Consensus is a Coindesk production. Executive produced by Jared Schwartz and produced and edited by Eleanor Paul. Have any questions or comments? Email us at podcasts at coindesk.com. Subject line, Carpe Consensus.
0: Thanks for listening, and see you next week.
1: Look around. You can find cars like these on Autotrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Autotrader. Just you wait. Autotrader.